Kentucky grand jury indicts at least one police officer with wanton endangerment and killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville. Hmm. Wanton endangerment seems like a very, like a not strong enough charge, if you ask me. Huh. Unfortunately, since I'm live, I can't exactly go through the finer details of this story to deliver it to you today, but that is the breaking news that we have at the moment. Um, anyway... Today we have a, some might say a colossal show for you. Some might say a gargantuan show. I don't know exactly how I would describe it other than to say, buckle up, it's going to be a good one. So um, let me give you a little rundown of what you have to look forward to. We had a gigantic story drop this week about top-level financial crimes this is this is not getting nearly enough coverage, but, you know, that's what we're for. So we'll talk about that. Um, I can safely say I have no idea what happened to Nancy Pelosi's brain in an appearance that she had on a Sunday show this week. Uh, I will play that clip for you. I was supposed to do it in the last show. Didn't get around to it, but I just can't let it go. Um, Trump's holding rallies and throwing haymakers at Biden. We'll dive into that. Mitt Romney is under the spotlight in regards to the Supreme Court. Um, the CARES Act was a giant fraud, and I have an update um, in regards to that. Ken Klippenstein with a big leak on the issue of the intelligence agency's spying. So a lot of stuff to get to. Let's jump right into it, and here we go. 
So we had a gigantic story drop this week about top-level financial crimes. Um, these are the FinCEN leaks, as they're being called. FinCEN is short for the U.S. Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Um, so these are the people at the U.S. Treasury Department who combat financial crime. So there are more than 2,500 documents, most of which were files that banks sent to the U.S. authorities between the year 2000 and 2017, and they were leaked to BuzzFeed News, and we're going to go through what's in them here in just a second. But you might, you know, I feel like we get a story once a year on top-level financial crimes, and my coverage is always the same. I'll give you the information behind it, and then I say, now watch, this story is going to go away incredibly fast. It won't even be in the news for a week. It'll be gone very, very, very soon because, you know, corporate media really doesn't do a good job covering the crimes of their fellow corporate buddies. So, you know, this is, this is part of the problem. You don't have reporters and, and journalists. Actually, that's not fair because those are the people who uncovered this. So it's not, it's not print outlets with people doing investigative journalism. They're not the problem. The problem is that certainly the 24-hour cable news networks, they just don't do deep dives on important policy stuff or important scandals like this that basically expose their friends for what they are. You know, it's elites throughout corporate media, and so they're going to protect other elites. And if this got any coverage whatsoever, it was very quick. It was one, two, in, out. And then, you know, they, they cut right to something about Biden or something about Trump and one of his rallies. So it's a shame. Again, you shouldn't have to rely on a loudmouth idiot YouTuber like myself to really <laughs> give you this information. But nonetheless, here we are. So this is similar to the 2017 Paradise Papers. Um, I don't know how many of you remember those, but that revealed that there was offshore financial dealings of politicians, celebrities, and business leaders where they were, you know, committing financial crimes, uh, avoiding taxes. It's kind of like this gigantic industry to basically hide the money of politicians, celebrities, and business leaders so that they don't have to pay any taxes. Um, then you had the Panama Papers, and I believe that was in 2016, and that showed how wealthy people were using offshore regimes offshore uh, tax regimes to their benefit. So here's what's in these new leaks. Okay, let's go through some of it. HSBC allowed fraudsters to move millions of dollars of stolen money around the world, even after it learned from U.S. investigators the scheme was a scam. So in other words, they knew they were, you know, doing the dirty work for fraudsters, and they didn't care because they were getting their cut. Then you have J.P. Morgan allowed a company to move more than $1 billion through a London account without knowing who owned it. And then the bank later discovered, later, wink, wink, that the company might be owned by a mobster on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Um, another thing here, evidence that one of Russian President Vladimir Putin's closest associates used Barclays Bank um, in London to avoid sanctions which were meant to stop him using financial services in the West, so evading these sanctions. Um, some of the cash was used to buy expensive works of art. 
And then the next thing there, that just says that there were basically 3,000 UK companies that were listed in the files uh, for suspicious activities. The United Arab Emirates Central Bank failed to act on warnings about a local firm which was helping Iran evade sanctions. So a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, schemes to evade sanctions. But really, in my opinion, the biggest one is that last one right there. Probably the first one, or, or I should say the first two, and then the last bullet point here, where it says, Deutsche Bank moved money launderers' dirty money for organized crime, terrorists, and drug traffickers. Let me repeat that. Deutsche Bank moved money launderers' dirty money for organized crime, terrorists, and drug traffickers. Now, all told, how much is there in illegal transactions that we know for sure? Two trillion dollars. Two trillion dollars. And actually, hold on. Did I mess that up? Because it might actually be more than that. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Tweeted about it. Let me see. Is it two trillion or seven trillion? No, it is two trillion. My bad. I thought it was seven trillion for a second there. Okay, so trillion dollars. So in other words, it's standard operating procedure to work with criminal syndicates all around the world. They know they're doing it. They know they're doing it, and they don't care because they know, effectively, they're above the law. And what's taught them that? History. I mean, we saw exactly what happened in the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis in the Great Recession. We know exactly what happened. You had the government basically rewarding the same companies that went belly up by giving them taxpayer bailouts, and then these companies turned around and paid bonuses to the same CEOs who bankrupted their respective companies. So how can that happen? Because of corruption. Because when you have these big financial institutions paying money to the politicians, the politicians look out for them. It's I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's the way that it works. So they know there's going to be no accountability. I mean, Goldman Sachs had fraud as a business model, and all they had to do was pay a fine. And at the end of the day, if you do the math on the numbers, you find that it was actually net profitable for them to do fraud. So you know what? They're going to keep doing fraud. So if we don't have policing of the white-collar criminals, well, then the white-collar criminals are going to keep committing crimes. And now we have a situation where we learn in no uncertain terms, yes, the big banks are working with terrorists. They're working with, you know, drug cartels. I mean, not for nothing, there were some stories going back years ago now where you had HSBC laundering al-Qaeda money as well. So this is just continuing, and we just have more details and more information on it. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think anybody's going to go to jail for any of this stuff? No. No. Nobody's going to go to jail for any of this stuff. Because if you're politically connected, and you wear a suit and tie, and you're a white guy you're going to get away with the crimes. And, you know, all of the devastation of the state 
and, and the boot-crushing, boot-crushing, <laughs> soul-crushing power. The boot of the state will be on your neck if you're somebody who robs a convenience store, for example. That's the crime that gets focused on. That's where you have a million local news reports. I mean, seriously, stop and think about it. When you look at local news reports, it's wall-to-wall petty crime. Somebody robs a convenience store, something like that, and they'll scare the pants off of old white people watching that. But will the local news cover this? No. Will national news cover this in any serious way? where they highlight the scandal that it is. No, of course not. Of course not. So you get this distorted picture of who the real criminals are and just how much crime is being done. Because if you're doing $2 trillion in illegal financial transactions with terrorists and drug lords and oligarchs, that seems like a big deal to me. That seems like people should probably go to prison. That seems like, at least in some ways, you have the biggest banks and these financial institutions are somewhat responsible for the crimes of the drug cartels and of the terrorists. If, 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 they, weren't, if they didn't have the money that they had, if they didn't have access to that money, then they probably wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that they get away with. So they could, have, they could have nipped it in the bud. They could have just not worked with them. But they know they'll get away with it, and they know they'll make money if they do. So they think, why not? Why not? It's a tough pill to swallow when people realize <laughs> that the government is packed full of criminals, and the people who have supposedly made it to the top tier of this hierarchy we've set up in this meritocracy. Many of them are also criminals. They didn't just work harder. They're not just better than you. No, a lot of them, it's nepotism. It's corruption. You know, it's who's the most shameless and can get away with the most stuff. And now we're, you know, literally at a position where big banks are moving dirty money for organized crime, terrorists, drug traffickers, (laughs) and they know there's going to be no accountability. So just a stark reminder of who's really in charge in society, who's really running stuff. Morality, ethics, that's out the window. Rule of law, that's out the window. They are the law because they have the money, and so they control the politicians, and they get away with whatever they want to get away with. And, you know, us regular folks are out here working and paying our taxes like suckers. <laughs> and you have giant institutions cozying up with the mafia, terrorists, drug traffickers, making money off of it, hiding money for oligarchs, evading sanctions. I mean, the list goes on and on. These institutions are criminal institutions and organizations. But the reason they get away with everything is because really, really they're in charge. The people who really run the show are the billionaires, are the elites, CEOs of these major companies, these big banks. They think we are the law, so we can get away with it. And you know what? Looks to me like they're correct. 
Okay, next. Okay. All right, I have to cover the Nancy Pelosi thing. I just have to. I can safely say I have no idea what happened in this next clip. This went viral a few days ago. Nancy Pelosi was doing uh, one of the Sunday morning shows. And look at this awkward moment. Friday, I started there early for voting the, the day that we launched Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning, Sunday morning. <laughs> we have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I don't know what the hell happened there. Her brain rebooted mid-sentence. It, like, crashed and rebooted. And she started the interview from the beginning again, even though they were already mid-interview. And if you go back and watch it again, George Stephanopoulos' face was like, Bro, what? What just happened, dog? What just happened? Just mid-sentence. Good morning. Sunday morning. You were just making a point. <laughs> Go back to the point. What are you talking about? What happened? Listen, there was a story that came out a few days ago, maybe a week ago or so, about how somebody who fills the pharmacy that fills all the prescriptions for Congress says, some people are getting Alzheimer's medication. Now, let me be clear. <laughs> Do I have any idea if Nancy Pelosi is one of those people? No, I don't. And to be fair to Nancy, pretty much all of Congress is 127 years old. So it ain't just her that's ancient. But is that concerning? Is it concerning that, like, the people who control us are seemingly all in cognitive decline? <laughs> I mean, look at Trump. Trump's a mess. That's clear. He's, he has his moments where he can't even, like, pronounce basic words, and you're like, what? Apart from the fact that even if he is cognitive, cognitively there, he's not, he's not doing well. Like, his ideology is messed up and wrong and terrible. Biden, I don't even need to get into Biden. We all know what's going on there. I mean, it's just it's tough to watch sometimes. The only time he, he seems with it and together is when I'm convinced he's, he's on something. He's given some sort of pill. And I got Nancy Pelosi rebooting mid-sentence. I, I've seen her at other times kind of struggle to get through stuff. But I honestly, in her case, I just assumed it was a little bit more of like a stutter or something. And I can relate to that because when I was younger, I was a stammerer, as it was called, so, which is just similar to stuttering. Um, but no, I don't know what this was. And it's kind of creepy. Brain just rebooted mid-sentence, and then she hopped right back into it afterwards. George Stephanopoulos is like, what the hell's going on? You would think that at a moment like this, when so many terrible things are happening, you got COVID-19, 200,000 Americans dead, the economy doing terrible, um, still bombing all these different countries, everything's a mess. And our leaders just keep giving us these moments of like, oh, we are totally not ready for this. 
it's not like if they were cognitively there, they would be doing the right thing. They wouldn't because they're corrupt. But at least you would feel like to some extent there's adults in charge. This doesn't feel like there are adults in charge. <laughs> this feels like you pull a couple random people off the street on a Wednesday afternoon, and those people could easily do a better job than everybody in D.C. right now. So I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was, but that, that moment went viral. Millions of people watched the clip online uh, because seemingly everybody was like, huh, what happened? I'd love an explanation. Like, I'd love to know. I, Corin told me maybe, um, you know, she had an earpiece in and somebody was telling her because she was doing a bunch of the Sunday shows and somebody told her like, okay, now you're going to go on whatever the name of the show is, Sunday morning. Is that actually the name of the show? It might be the name of the show. Um, so somebody said in the earpiece, like, this is the show you're on. And so she just kind of said, she said, like, good morning to whoever was in her ear. And then, like, yeah, Sunday morning, like, come on Sunday morning. But I don't know. It just it seemed a little too disconnected for that to be the explanation to me because she was already mid-interview. And so if, if you have the cognitive wherewithal, you would be like, okay, somebody's in my ear. Almost like, let me ignore it, tune that out, and keep going with my point. But she just rebooted. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I hope that doesn't happen again. And, you know, at the very least, I hope that the brains of the people who run society, I hope they function okay. Apparently, that's a lot to ask for. Okay, next. I don't want to overstate it, and I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I sincerely believe that this story is a story that could win Joe Biden the election and spell total annihilation for Trump pumped out there. And if this becomes a centerpiece of every Democratic argument from now until Election Day. So take a look. You have Don Moynihan tweeted the following. This is on the right. The USPS had a plan to send five reusable face masks to every household in early April, even had a press release ready. The White House blocked the plan, quote, there was concern that households receiving masks might create concern or panic. Whoa. Whoa. And you can see, look, he's got whoever his sources are, he has exactly what he says here. The press release that the United States Postal Service was going to send out. And it says here, I'll just read the top part for you, U.S. Postal Service to deliver face coverings to every American household. Historic delivery of 650 million face coverings is in partnership with the White House Coronavirus Task Force, the Department of Health and Human Services, and a consortium of textile manufacturers. So, all right, listen, we all, let's all wrap our mind around this, because this is really, this is huge. So the reaction from people inside the government, the day-to-day workers, the reaction from those people when they saw what was unfolding with COVID 
everything kicked into gear. And the adults behind the scenes were like, okay, there's a pandemic. It's a virus. We know how viruses spread. For sure, face masks will help. So let's get our rear in gear here and let's get plans in motion to have, to get reusable face masks for everybody and deliver them. This is what was going on behind the scenes, almost kind of proving if you have competent leadership in government, they can get things done and they can really help and they can do a good job. And then the Trump administration, even though in this, this press release, they're giving credit to the White House. They're saying, yeah, 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 in partnership with the White House, see what we're doing? This could have been something that Trump could have taken credit for, and it would have helped him massively. Instead, because he's a moron and he's anti-science, the concern was households receiving masks might create concern or panic. He didn't want to panic people. So he axed the plan that was already in motion, a plan that undoubtedly would have saved tens of thousands of lives, if not more than that. If not more than that. I cannot overstate how important this story is. And I don't know why the Biden team isn't talking about this 24-7. You should, have, you should put ads everywhere calling this out. This is as bad as it gets. If you flip the script, if it was Barack Obama and the government had a plan, hey, there's a pandemic, we're going to send out five reusable masks to everybody in the country. And Obama said, no, I don't want to panic people. We're axing the plan. You're not sending it out. The Republicans would have gone nuclear and they would have been right to. They would have been right. I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a pandemic. There's a virus. People are dying. Masks obviously will help. This is exactly the job of government. This is exactly what you want your government there for. In times of crisis, to lend a helping hand, where we all band together and we do something intelligent. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. All they had to do was not get in the way. That's it. That's it. All they had to do was not get in the way. The government was doing what the government does. It turns out when you have experts at Health and Human Services, for example, the people who've been there from administration to administration and actually do the day-to-day, the hard work, dot the I's, cross the T's, do everything Health and Human Services does. When you have these people there, they see what's going on and they're, they're reacting and they're doing the right thing. But now the, the politicians got in the way. The anti-science administration got in the way. Said, no, I don't want to create a panic because God forbid you create a panic the market might go down a little bit. It might hurt his re-election chances. I mean, this was the thinking. The thinking was me, 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 me. My election, the stock market. He didn't like the optics of it. It'll scare people if I start sending a mask. You know what will scare people more? 200,000 deaths from COVID. That's a little more scary. I mean, this is as bad as it gets, man. Because it's not... Because before you could argue, hey, the problem was they didn't leap into action. Now, no, it's that the government did leap into action, and then they prevented things that would be the solution. That's even worse. That's even worse. 
if they're just not good at, at their job and the Trump administration just didn't know how to handle it, you could say, okay, it's ignorance, and ignorance is somewhat forgivable because at least it's not, like, malicious, and at least it's not, like, being dumb on purpose. But now we know, no, 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 it was malicious, and it was dumb on purpose. And it was blocking something that definitely would have served as a solution. I've told you guys the story a thousand times on this show, but look at what happened with Japan. Japan, early on, you know, they did limited economic shutdowns, not nearly as much as many other countries. But a lot of things stayed open, and they just had universal masks. And only 1,000 people died in the first wave, about 1,000 people. Now, they've had a little bit of a reemergence, and so, you know, they're addressing it like everybody else is. But we have 200,000 deaths. Universal masks works. You know, I'm, I'm in New York, the epicenter of where COVID hit early on. Ever since we went to universal masks, our numbers have been superb here. He blocked universal masks. That's what this is. He blocked universal masks. A plan was ready to go. Trump blocked it. The administration blocked it because they cared more about the optics than the science. This is like the definition of bad leadership. That's what this is. And the media should talk about this nonstop. The Biden team should talk about this nonstop because this is really unforgivable. And I do think it's fair to say so many of the deaths from COVID, you can blame them on the administration. I know they try to you know, deflect and obfuscate and pawn it off to, oh, China and this and that. It was preventable, and you got in the way of preventing deaths. That's what this is. We had a plan that would have worked and saved tens of thousands of lives at least. And they got in the way of it. Huge story. Not getting nearly enough attention. Not getting nearly enough attention. I don't know why everybody's not talking about this. I haven't seen too much talk about this. Now, maybe I'm too much in my own bubble and I missed it, but it's happening. But I'd cut a thousand ads on this and run it all over Florida, all over Texas, Pennsylvania, Michigan. I'd I'd run ads about this everywhere if I was the Biden team. And if I was the media, I wouldn't stop talking about this because this this is honestly as big of a scandal as it gets. They had the solution. They were this close to doing the right thing. This close. This close. And then the Trump people step in and go, nope. We're not going to do the thing that would save lives. Stunning. Okay, next. Here we go. So people were holding out and hoping that Mitt Romney would stand up to Trump when it comes to the Supreme Court, but he already burst that bubble. Take a look. I wasn't there. Uh, I think there's some perception on the part of some writers and others that, gee, what happened with Merrick Garland was unfair. I don't agree with that. I don't know whether you think it was a good decision or not, but it wasn't unfair because it was consistent with history. It was consistent with precedent. It was consistent with the Constitution. So the idea that the Merrick Garland decision was unfair and therefore it has to be made up uh, by doing something uh, which also wouldn't make a lot of sense, which is saying to President Trump, you can't get your nominee either, that, that just doesn't follow for me. Uh, the Garland decision was consistent with, with history. 
the decision to proceed with a new nominee is also consistent with history and, and precedent, uh, and uh, that's where I come out. They blocked the Merrick Garland seat for over 300 days. And if we were to block this seat from being filled, it would only be blocked for like 45 days. 300 days, so over 300 days versus 45 days. And somehow he's doing the mental gymnastics to say like, that's totally fine. We're having Garland, bro. It's totally fair. It's totally constitutional and okay. It's totally fine. But oh my God, if they don't give Trump this seat, oh my God. If it's okay to block Garland for over 300 days, it's okay to block whoever the hell is supposed to fill this seat. You know, for 45 days or whatever it is. Duh, of course. Of course. It's almost like he's doing mental gymnastics to bring himself to support Trump's nominee. There were all these articles, all these articles, or I should say Trump's appointment, not nominee, whatever you want to call the person who's supposed to fill the seat. There were all these articles about how Mitt Romney's going to be the one who stands up to Donald Trump. He's the anti-Trump Republican leader. This is what we need, yes! Anti-Trump Republicans, yes! How's that working out for you? You know, not to do a victory lap, although that's exactly what I'm about to do, but I told you guys, establishment Republicans, so-called anti-Trump Republicans, the only thing they don't like about Trump is that he's crass, and he has no filter, and he shit-talks people on Twitter. That's the only thing they don't like. All they want him to do is have more decorum and be more civil. And then they're like, oh, this guy's perfect. This guy's awesome. They would love Trump as much as they loved Reagan, if not more, if Donald Trump would just reel it in with being a dick. That's it. That's it. He doesn't know how to do the, the, the bullshitting. He doesn't know how to put on the politician's veneer of like, mm, yeah, me, I'm a serious person. Don't you think I'm so serious? I think I'm serious. Do you think I'm serious? I think I'm serious. And then the media's job is, oh, yeah, they're so serious. Look at them. They don't say mean things on Twitter. <laughs> but they love everything Trump has done policy-wise. All of these ghouls, I mean, Romney, I don't think, was in at the time, but the 2017 Republican tax law. All the Republicans supported the 2017 tax law, even though it was the Bush tax cuts on steroids, even though it's going to give all the money to the wealthy and help speed up the next crash. They were with them on that 100%. They're with them on all the, we're still bombing eight countries. They're with them on that. You know, sanctioning Venezuela, uh, blocking medicine from going into Iran and, and moving towards regime change there. They all agree to that. They all agree to that. All the deregulation, we covered the story on this show about how they're removing the regulations that protect the water around coal plants. So now 1.1 million people are going to have dirty water that's poisoned with arsenic and a bunch of other stuff. Because we know because there was a time we didn't have these regulations, and that's what happened. So Trump removes those regulations. Is Mitt Romney out there making a stink about it, saying, I'm going to stand up to Trump on this? No. Because, again, the only thing they dislike is his personality. They agree with him on policy. I don't give a damn about his personality. I disagree with him on policy. So if you're enabling him every step of the way and you agree with him, I'm going to come after you. But these dupes, these idiots, these morons in mainstream media, they have the IQ of a gnat. And whoever mutters some anti-Trump sentiments, they're like, oh, yes, very serious person, yes, yes. Who cares if they don't like his tweets? Who cares? 
if they're going to vote for his pick for the Supreme Court, they're going to support his pick. That's a problem. So I hope people will learn their damn lesson, but they won't. But they won't. Don't do these rehabilitation pieces on these monsters. Are you kidding me? They did this at one point with Glenn Beck. Remember for seven and a half minutes, Glenn Beck pretended to be anti-Trump? And like Samantha Bee and like The Daily Show. Like a bunch of these, these liberal outlets like were like, yeah, sure, let's welcome him with open arms because he doesn't like Trump. Well, of course, it came back to bite him in the ass. Because with Glenn Beck, it was even worse. He eventually came around even on Trump's like, you know, lack of decorum. He, he's a full Trump guy now. What did you think was going to happen? What did you think was going to happen? You think this guy has principles? Do you remember anything about the 2012 race? Do you remember anything about everything he was involved with? Remember the 47% comments? Yeah, 47% of the country will never take responsibility, and they're basically like parasites. He's saying Democrats are takers, Republicans are makers, and I, I'm, like, I'm not a president for the 47%. Ew, yeah, gross. Like, this is who this guy is. He's Thurston Howell's III in real life, and people were giving him credit. Their hopes were pinned on this guy. This guy. Well, he can't make it any more clear. Of course he's going to support. They, they supported Gorsuch. They supported uh, Kavanaugh, the frat boy. They, of course they're going to support these people because really, at the end of the day, they agree on policy. If they agree on policy, they'll be voting with Trump. So, again, I hope people learn, but they won't. They'll, you know, anytime any Republican... The media loves nothing more than an anti-Trump Republican. And they're being used because the whole anti-Trump Republican brand is just the reason why that's dangerous is that when Trump is eventually gone, the media already did all the work of rehabilitating the other Republicans and framing them as good Republicans. Really, everything Trump does should be pinned on all these cretins in D.C. who are Republicans in power. They all own every terrible thing Trump has done, but the media is letting them get away with it and helping rehabilitate them and acting like they're not responsible for all the terrible things Trump has done because they love the narrative of, like, the good Republican, the anti-Trump Republican, the serious Republican. And this is how you get a situation where, like, David Frum and Bill Kristol are resistance heroes when they are literal war criminals. They are warmongering war criminals who are responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians in Iraq. So there you have it. Now, what's going to happen with this seat? I still don't know. It looks like the Republicans are going to fall in line, save maybe two, which means that the Republicans will have the votes to, to get, you know, to fill the seat. And so what's going to happen? I don't know. The only reason I say I don't know is because it's, the election is super close. So if they put a rush on it, they'll probably get it filled, and that is beyond dangerous. And at that point, if the Democrats don't come out in favor of packing the court, well, then there, there will be no left-wing change ever. In other words, even if you get, let's say, Medicare for All passed, the Supreme Court will hear a case on it and just be like, yeah, it's unconstitutional. We're going to slap it all down. That's what's going to happen. If you have a solidly conservative court, they'll come up with some nonsense rationalization about how, oh, the Constitution doesn't allow you to make sure people don't die from lack of health care. And it'll happen with every issue. doesn't matter what the Every issue. They'll say, nope, that's unconstitutional. That's unconstitutional. You want to do anything positive ever? Unconstitutional. We don't allow it. 
the scariest thought of all is that maybe Democrats don't even really care if that happens. Why? Because in a world where the Supreme Court gets the final say on everything and strikes down all positive change, the Democrats can do a lot of fundraising off that. The Democrats can pretend, can do the kabuki theater, can posture as if, you know, we're the people who are the good people, and look at all the things the bad people are doing, I guess you have no choice but to support us. And they play the role of the perpetual loser who says, if you just give me a little more money, then we'll be able to stand up to them, then we'll be able to beat them. And they just play that role over and over and over and over and over. Terrifying thought, huh? Well, guess what? Pelosi, Tim Kaine, a bunch of these people have already indicated, Chris Coons, they've already indicated, like, yeah, we're not going to, like, they could have, for example, done the Republican trick. You know what the Republican trick is? Government shutdown. They needed to pass a continuing resolution to fund the government, to keep it going. And the Democrats could have said, we're not going to do a continuing resolution because you're not filling the seat. Hey, like them apples. They could have done that. They already took it off the table. They already made a deal on the continuing resolution. What does that tell you? They ain't going to do dick. So anyway, there you have it. Of course, the, the so-called good Republicans, the anti-Trump Republicans, of course they're all frauds. The only thing they didn't like was his mean tweets. Everything else they love, which is why they're part of the problem. Okay, next. So Joe Biden had a moment on the campaign trail that's probably going to leave young people and Bernie people with a bad taste in their mouth. So if I could ask you, sir, I mean, even if you could address our camera directly, talk to the voters that are worried about socialism and new raising taxes. First of all, I guarantee, I promise, I've never broken my word, anyone making less than $400,000 will not see one single penny in their tax rate. Number two, I beat the socialists. That's how I got elected. That's how I got the nomination. Do I look like a socialist? Look at my career, my whole career. Well, I mean, one thing's for sure. That's accurate. He's certainly not a socialist. You look at his career, it's just a litany of reaching across the aisle and working with Republicans. And the problem is, and this is why the left is not hot on Biden, it's working with them on their priorities. This is what his governing record shows. This is the guy who couldn't wait to make a deal to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's who Joe Biden is. He's given speeches bragging about how he wants to make a deal and cut Social Security. This was a big issue during the primary. So he's right about that. He's right. He supported the Patriot Act. He supported the Iraq War. He supported a lot of the outsourcing deals. That's the problem. That's the problem. And he's highlighting his record in an attempt to tell people, like, let's get serious. I'm not some far left person like the right is portraying me. He's correct. There's no doubt He's empirically right. It is provable. It is verifiable. You go through his record with a fine-tooth comb. He's a corporatist. That's what he is. That's who he is, through and through. So he's correct. So I'm not knocking him on for being factually wrong here. Um, but here's the problem. Man, it is so easy. He takes the bait so quickly. And what I mean by that is, you're coming up on the election. The group that is most iffy on you, Joe, it's the base. 
That's the group that is most iffy on you. All of the suburbanites that you were trying to get. Mission accomplished, dog. You got them. You got the suburbanites. You got the old people. This is, like, this is what you've been fighting for, and, and you got them. So now we're coming up on the election. The people who are most skeptical of Joe, it's the left. It's young people. And this question, like his answer to the question, is tailor-made to further piss that group off. So the exact group that he should be shoring up and catering to is the exact group he's shitting on. I beat the socialist. Flip it. I beat, I beat him. I beat him. I beat the guy. I'm not that. So what would be an acceptable answer? What would be something that, if Joe said it, we would actually, I would be covering the segment and giving him credit. If Joe, for example, argued, hey, listen, you call, you guys call Bernie a socialist. You guys call me a socialist. I know Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is a great man. He's a social Democrat. You know what that is? There are social democracies all around the world. There are other developed countries are social democracies. And guess what? They have better health care systems than us. They have better education systems than us. People get more paid vacation time by law. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't it sound nice, paid vacation time by law? So they want to try to smear me with labels, but I know who I am, and I know who Bernie is. And Bernie's my friend, and Bernie wants what's good for the American people. And you know what? I'm going to fight for what's good for the American people, too. If he answered like that, if he defended his friend, then I'd be giving him credit. But no, he took the bait. I mean, it's like, hey, isn't Bernie Sanders really bad? Oh, yeah, Bernie's bad. I beat that guy. I beat him. I'm not with him. That's the problem, Joe. The problem is you're not with him, and this is why young people are like, uh, I told you. He will not rest until everybody who votes for him who's young and on the left is doing it with tears. He, he can't. He loves to remind you how much he doesn't agree with you. He loves to remind you of that. It's really devastating, man. It really is. It's terrible. I hate it. Now, uh, the other point I wanted to address was um, he said, oh, nobody who makes, what was it, less than $400,000 or less is going to see a penny increase in their taxes. I told you, the Democrats keep upping that number. It started with 100000 then it went to like one fifty, then it went to two fifty. And now he upped it all the way to 400000 Listen, I get it. You know, I, I've argued that I've never seen a working class tax cut that I didn't like. But, yeah, the line should be more like 100000 or 200000 Like 400000 it's not the number of Americans who make $400,000 or more. It's not that many. So, really, you should be talking about 100000 or 200000 But, no, he says $400,000 a year or less, you know, they don't see uh, an increase in their taxes it's just it's always it's always the framing to reach out to the right when they don't like you dude they're never going to agree with you which is why they're doing a smear campaign calling you an antifa puppet like this is the democratic strategy for decades now has been let's cater to a phantom group the phantom group of, like, the Republican who's a Trump guy who I'm now going to get them to change their mind and support me. No, you're never, you're never going to nibble at the edges. You're never going to that, – that's the group, which is the last group that should really make up who you're targeting. 
you know. It's just, I really believe Biden would be up like 20 points, 25 points, if he really kind of leaned into economic stuff, leaned into populist stuff. If he was the one who was talking about raising the minimum wage and bringing that up all the time, if he's the one bringing up left-wing ideas on unions, for example, I really think that we have this amazing opportunity where Trump is so bad and he's failing so bad on COVID and the economy is so bad, it would be so easy. You don't even need to put a label to it. You could just go out there and, and speak about specific economic ideas that would help people. And he'd be up way more. But no, he's up like a standard amount. And one of the main reasons is he loves giving in to the framing of the right and fighting on their grounds. And so really the conversation is about how much of a socialist is Biden. They get him to attack the people he needs, which is his base. Listen, if he wins, which it looks likely that he will as of right now, um, it really is only because it's an anti-Trump election. But they're going to take all the wrong lessons from it. All the people in the Biden campaign will take all the wrong lessons from it. Um, They'll think neoliberal corporatism is awesome, and it sells, and that's why he won. As opposed to, no, a ham sandwich would have beaten Trump given the current state of affairs. So... Here we go again. It certainly would be nice to not be repeatedly reminded how much the Democratic candidate disagrees with us at the same time that we get browbeaten by people that you better shut up and do the vote anyway. Certainly would be nice to not be like routinely insulted (laughs) as we get closer to the election. You guys should be trying to make it as easy as possible for people to suck it up and make that lesser evil vote, but... They're not doing that. All right, next. So President Trump shoved his foot directly in his mouth at one of his rallies talking about COVID. Watch. Sleepy Joe Biden and his group of incompetents to delay the vaccine, shut down the country. He actually suggested that he would shut down the country. We now know the disease. We didn't know it. Now we know it. It affects elderly people, elderly people with heart problems and other problems. If they have other problems, that's what it really affects. That's it. You know, in some states, thousands of people, nobody young, below the age of 18, like nobody, they have a strong immune system. Who knows? You you Take your hat off to the young because they have a hell of an immune system, but it affects Virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. By the way, open your schools. Everybody open your schools. Yeah. 
It affects virtually nobody, he says. It affects virtually nobody. The numbers do show the young people fare a hell of a lot better. That's true. However, there are still young people who die from getting it. Some of them with pre-existing conditions, some of them without. But beyond that, I have to bring this up because it's driving me crazy. Why does everybody casually act like the older people don't matter or people with pre-existing conditions don't count? Of course they count. Of course they matter. This, like, flippant way of discussing it. Dude, 200,000 Americans are dead. 200,000 Americans are dead. And he says it affects virtually nobody. So in, in some ways, he's arguing, hey, the really old people, the people with pre-existing conditions, maybe obese people, do they really count? Do they really count? Maybe they should have been in better shape. I mean, that's the vibe I'm getting from what he's saying here. Is that like, well, you know, the undesirables are the ones who are really dying from this thing. I mean, that really is quite an admission. Virtually nobody. I mean, virtually nobody. I mean, the young have a good immune system, so, you know, they're good. But virtually nobody's being affected by this. So the 200,000, virtually nobody, I really hope Biden and the Democrats are cutting ads with that exact part. I really do hope so. Because that, I mean, that's unforgivable. Like, this is your number one job. By the way, right now the election looks like it will be a referendum on COVID. Because that's what all the polls are showing, that that's like the main issue. And he's handling it terribly. Because he can't even pretend to be serious for an extended period of time. After a while, it just falls apart. And he ends up saying what he really believes, which is like, get over it. You know, virtually nobody's being affected. Young people are fine. We're, like, he's going after Biden for c- contemplating more potential shutdowns. I mean, that's not, like, you think that's crazy. It's not crazy when you have 200,000 Americans dead. Like, I get it. It would be a tough thing. But to act like that's absurd, what's absurd is 200,000 Americans dead. That's what's absurd. Now, I agree that if we do a shutdown, there needs, there has to be more economic relief. If we do full-scale shutdowns again, you can't do that without stimulus checks, without a universal basic income, without some way of letting people get by. But... 200,000 people are dead. And, you know, he's up there almost doing like this semi-stand-up comedy routine where he's going after Biden in these ways, and it's like the, the vibe of it, the feel of it is just dark. You know, it's just dark. It's just so disconnected from what's happening in the country. The economic pain people are feeling, the pain of the virus. When you have 200,000 Americans dead, let me tell you something. So many people throughout this country are experiencing some sort of pain related to COVID-19. Are they going to like the fact that their leader, who's supposed to be the one in charge of this stuff, is out there saying this? No. No. I think this is going to hurt him. I do. I think this is going to hurt Trump. Because he's already viewed as not taking COVID seriously, and it's the number one issue. And then you go out there and say something like this, downplaying the virus. This is the last person in the country who I would want to downplay the virus. Like, your job is supposed to be to keep us safe as well. He's going to fearmonger about, like, rioting and looting. Oh, my God, they're coming for you in suburbia. How many people are dead as a result of rioting and looting? How many people are dead? Seriously. Is it anywhere near 200,000? Imagine 200,000 people died because of rioting and looting. He would never shut up about it. It would be the biggest story ever. It's like we're in a civil war. That's what we're in. We're in a civil war. That's what he would say. But when it's a virus, eh, they're old. They're old. What are you going to do? They might have maybe had pre-existing conditions. As if you could just disregard them and dismiss them. They don't really count. That's virtually nobody. 
No, 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 it counts. It counts. We all know somebody and love somebody, or maybe you yourself have the pre-existing conditions, or you yourself are older, to just be flippant and glib and disregard it. Just everything is just so, I don't even know the word for it. Like, when he goes up there and does these rallies and talks, it's just like, it's so narcissistic and selfish and misleading and crafted in a way where he tries to control the entire narrative. But there are some things where you just can't override reality with bravado and with showmanship. And he tries to, but you can't do it when it's something as serious as this. I mean, to imagine 200,000 Americans are dead. If I told you three years ago, it's going to be a pandemic, 200,000 Americans are going to die from it, and then Numbnuts is going to do a rally where he says, virtually nobody died from this. You'd be like, this, no, that's too crazy, that's too much like a movie, that's too insane, but here we are. Here we are. Cut those ads, do it now, because everybody should know what he really thinks about what's going on. And lest you think, oh, this is just something he says, but in reality he's taking the virus very seriously behind closed doors, we just cover the story about how the Postal Service was going to mail five reusable masks to every American. And Trump axed it and said, I don't want to panic people, so we're going to say no masks for people. Yeah, that's who this guy is. He's poo-pooing the virus publicly, but behind the scenes he's like, I will defeat this virus for the American people who I love. No, he's poo-pooing it publicly. He's poo-pooing it privately. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Do you understand that? He doesn't. He cares about getting reelected. And in his mind, he thinks, oh, I'll get reelected if I downplay the virus. I'm going to downplay it. Virtually nobody. The 200,000 people, virtually nobody. Virtually nobody. This son of a bitch. 200,000 Americans dead. Over 6911s. That's what that is. Half the U.S. casualties of World War II. Over 40 Iraq wars or, or war on terrors from the American perspective in terms of U.S. soldier death. Virtually nobody. Let that sink in. Take a break. When we come back, Trump is starting to throw some haymakers at Biden in the rallies. Um, stay right there. We'll dive into that and much, much more.
Come back, bitch. Okay. Let's continue. I got more Trump stuff. <clears throat> All right, here we go. President Trump is starting to throw some haymakers at Biden in his rallies. Take a look. So far away, and then he comes up with the mask. He's like 100 yards from the nearest human being. He's got a mask. He feels good about the mask. I wonder, in the debate, it'll be him and I or the stage. Is he going to walk in with a mask? I'll be honest, he feels good about he feels good about the mask, and that's okay. You know what? Whatever makes you feel good, he feels good. He feels I mean honestly, what the hell did he spend all that money on the plastic surgery if he's gonna cover it up with a mask? Seriously. The whole thing. Now, I think he'll come in with a mask. I don't know, you have no I have no idea. Well the question is So the thing about the plastic surgery is supposed to be a shot at Biden. Like, this guy obviously had plastic surgery. Who are we kidding? Now, he definitely did. He definitely had a facelift. You go back and look at him in 2012 or even, I think, as late as, like, 2015, he uh, he had this mean turkey neck, like, really saggy. It's like, it's like low, hung low. It was like a very prominent turkey neck. But now he doesn't. And he doesn't because he had a facelift. In fact, when you see close-ups, you can actually see where they made the cuts. Like, it looks like it was a facelift. And I read an article that was describing how it wasn't, like, it wasn't well done. He didn't go to, like, a really good plastic surgeon who could kind of hide it in some ways. He, it, you could see the scarring from where they made the incisions and whatnot. But um, I'm going to defend Biden on, on the plastic surgery. I think he looks better. I think that, uh, I think he looks better than he did before the plastic surgery, for sure. I think it kind of worked. If, if, if the look was, hey, we're trying to make him look a little bit younger, I think, I think he does look younger than he did right before he got the surgery, for sure. Now, I'm not saying he looks young. He doesn't. Um, but I'll defend him on that, for sure. And in a weird way, like, people have made fun of me. I think I had this conversation with uh, Rogan on his podcast where I was arguing, we're used to seeing Trump like this. And if you change it now, it would look weirder. So, you know, his argument was like, why does he have the freakish uh, orange skin? Why does he have the comb over hair? And I had seen somebody did the comparison where they showed exactly what Trump would look like without the comb over and without the tan. And he looks way worse without the comb over and without the tan. Like, granted... I admit he looks ridiculous here. He looks ridiculous. He's a ridiculous-looking person, for sure. But let's not kid ourselves as if, like, if he changed it, that it would be better. It wouldn't. It would be worse. For sure, it would be worse. No doubt. <laughs> I remember looking at the picture and being mortified. He looks horrendous without his comb-over and without his tan. I was like, oh, my God. And I feel the same about Biden. Like, if he didn't get the facelift, he would look worse, I think. So I get it. I get it. Um... But it's also kind of funny that, like, Trump taking a shot at, at Biden for plastic surgery as if he's not a target-rich environment in terms of looks is kind of funny. Like, dude, who are you kidding? You spend, like, he probably spends at least 30 minutes or an hour on his hair every damn morning. 
doing the freaking comb over. We've seen what happens when in moments where he can't hide it. Remember when he was walking onto, it was either helicopter or Air Force One, and the back of his head, it like popped up. Like whatever the hell he uses to hold his hair down, like it popped up, and there was a spot in the back where it was just one million percent bald, and he had combed all the way over. And it was like, I remember in my head, I heard the horror movie sound when the thing popped up. You know, they're like, I backed away from the mic because I didn't want to, like, if you're listening through your headphones, I didn't want to, like, scare you when I said that. But, yeah, I heard, like, the horror movie noise when the thing popped up. Like, it popped up like that. I was like, ah, oh, my God. (laughs) It's not supposed to do that. Ah. I have the same reaction. Like, I'm one of those people, I can't watch limbs break. Because if I see a limb go, like, you ever seen somebody's, like, Sid Vicious back in the day in WCW wrestling, he jumped off the top rope to kick somebody, and, like, he landed on his leg and just went, like, it just totally snaps out. I can't see that. I, had, I felt the same way when I saw Trump's hair, like, like, pop up in that weird way. So gross. But anyway, yeah, dude, you can't, like, you are not allowed to talk about people's appearance, ever. Because you know you're a target-rich environment. But I think this gets to something else about Trump, which is, like, he really thinks he's hot shit. Like, I think he really thinks he's an attractive man. He said so many things over the years where that would, like, the only logical explanation is that he thinks he's hot. And so he thinks, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go after Biden for his plastic surgery, but I'm fuck. He said one time he thinks he looks like Elvis Presley. To be fair, he said more when he was young. Like, oh, when I was younger, people told me I look like Elvis Presley. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What a joke. So anyway, don't, don't, like, you don't want to open this door, dog. You want to go down the, you know, go down the path of talking about people's appearance? Do we really want to have a conversation about your gelatinous, bulbous gut? Should we talk about that? About how you hide how overweight you are with your clothes? The bigger, the bigger jackets? Like, he's, he is a large man. Trump is a, he's like six foot two or six foot three, but he's fat. And he hides it well, but he's fat. So he's going after Biden's appearance. It just strikes me as like, I actually think there's more to go after Trump for on appearance than Biden, even though Biden had plastic surgery and Trump didn't. So anyway, but now let's get to the more important thing here. I know I've been babbling this whole time, but more importantly, the reason why Biden wears the mask so many places is because it signals to the public, hey, I'm a serious adult, I care about science, and I'm taking this pandemic seriously, and if I'm president, I will take it very seriously. And you're going to want somebody like me in charge. That's the message it's sending. Now, the reason he's going with that message is because it's smart and it works. Don, how does he not get this? I mean, honestly, this is the saddest thing ever. How do you not get that? How do you not get that? COVID is the number one issue in the country. Why? 200,000 people are dead. And it disrupted the economy massively. Lives have been upended as a result of this thing. And Trump's out there doing like a semi-stand-up routine about, look at this idiot wearing a mask. <laughs> he's wearing a mask. <laughs> so he's become, Trump has become the parody of him. He's become a parody of himself. Because like the left-wing caricatured view of Trump is like, he's so dumb and he's so anti-science that... And he's, like, proud of being anti-science. That's what this is. You're going to make fun of somebody for wearing a mask in a pandemic where 200,000 Americans have died. And, mind you, they could say, well, yeah, it's mostly old people. Right. 
How old is Biden? How old are you? Yeah, I think you should be wearing masks. But he's attacking him for it. He's making fun of him for it. Like, I'm telling you, he's too brainwashed these days. He's Fox News, One American News Network. They just, like, got into his mind, and now he doesn't know how to think clearly. I mean, he never did, but he's way worse now than he was in 2016. Because, you, like, you don't have any semblance of reason or, like, you couldn't pump the brakes a little bit. Hey, maybe I shouldn't attack a guy for wearing a mask in a pandemic. And no, he's not going to wear a mask in the debate, like during the debate. It's going to be you and him and like one of, uh, Chris Wallace and that's it. Of course. Of course he's not going to. But, he, you know, it's all, he, I'm telling you, he, Trump goes out there, he does like a semi-stand-up routine. Now, that works when the material doesn't make Trump look really terrible. And I feel like this actually does make Trump look terrible because the number one issue in the country is COVID. People say they don't think Trump is taking it seriously. And then Trump goes out there and proves with every word he speaks that he's not taking it seriously. And Biden has been signaling, I'm going to take it seriously. So, you know, he's almost like he's casually dancing on a minefield. That's what Trump is doing here. Now, again, I think he's talented in terms of how he does the rallies and in terms of the fact that he, he's a decent speaker and that he has kind of like a, like a stand-up comedian's um, cadence in a way where, like, he gets the laugh breaks and he gets the applause breaks and, like, he knows how to work a crowd for sure. But, I mean, really, dog, masks in a pandemic, like, that's going to be the subject matter. His plastic surgery and masks in a pandemic, you're going to come out against that and, like, poke fun at him. It's just, it's too, he's dating himself. It's too in that right-wing bubble. This is not going to land. And, you know, I think he's in trouble. I think he's in serious trouble. I think the polls are showing that these days. His terrible strategy is showing that these days. When 200,000 Americans are dead and you're making fun of Biden for wearing a mask in a pandemic, you don't come across as like the cool outsider. You come across as like a total moron. Okay, next. Let me have a bite of pineapple, bitch. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, yes. Ah, that's tasty. That is succulent, if I don't say so myself. Okay. Here we go. Oh, I got to change the graphic. My bad. I'm such a rookie. I've been doing this forever, and I'm still such a rookie. Here we go. When the CARES Act passed, there were very few voices calling it what it is, which was a giant, corrupt, corporate giveaway. It was a big heist. It was Naomi Klein's shock doctrine happening in real time. It was all these wealthy people and corporations going, let's use this pandemic to rob people blind, to loot the treasury. That's what it is. Well, um... Now, in the aftermath, it's become clear how terrible it is the more we learn about what these funds went to. Here's another example of it right here. The Pentagon redirected most of its $1 billion in pandemic funding to defense contractors who exchanged the money for jet engine parts, body armor, dress uniforms, and other military needs, the Washington Post reported on Thursday. The CARES Act passed by Congress in March granted the Department of Defense $1 billion to both prevent and get ready 
to respond to the coronavirus, but the Post reported that in the weeks that followed, hundreds of millions of the taxpayer money was instead utilized to obtain military supplies. This was a change from the intent of Congress, the Post noted. Meanwhile, U.S. health officials are still requesting funding for pandemic response, including $6 billion for states to make vaccines available when they are developed and to address a shortage in N95 masks for hospitals. The Pentagon has also requested that $11 billion be provided to a potential new stimulus bill being debated by Congress. So we're still short on N95 masks. We're still short on funding for uh, health and human services. We're short on funding for um, distribution of a potential vaccine when it's done. There's a lot of stuff that needs money that doesn't have it. The Pentagon got a billion dollars in pandemic funding, and it went right to the defense contractors. Now do you see the problem? Now do you see the issue? Now do you see why we were all screaming about this? Honestly, this was the point of the CARES Act. The point of the CARES Act was to shower the special interests with money. Who always wins? The corporations. Who always wins? The military-industrial complex. And that's what this is. So they used it for things they were not supposed to use it for. Because, of course, they were going to do that. Really, this was supposed to go towards pandemic stuff. It didn't. It didn't. It went to the defense contractors who run the government, own the government, bought the government, along with Wall Street, along with Big Pharma, along with for-profit health insurance companies. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing that we're not out there in the streets right now and, and there's not a general strike because these kinds of stories are endless. This is where the money always goes. It always ends up going to Wall Street or going to the military-industrial complex. Always. And then they tell you, oh, my God, we can't do Medicare for all. Oh, my God, we can't do free college. Oh, my God, we can't rebuild our infrastructure. Can't do any of the things that would actually help you. You know, I've told this story before. I've given this fact before, but I feel like it's so, it just, it's the perfect encapsulation of how our priorities are messed up and how everything cock blocks change. To do free college, it will cost $60 billion. Just the increase, just the increase in the military budget from one year to the next, I believe in 2018, was $80 billion. Not a single person said, how can we afford this increase in the military budget? Not a single voice in media, not a single Democratic politician, Everybody, in fact, Elizabeth Warren voted for that bill. But then the second anybody says, well, hold on, just for the increase in the military budget, for less than that, we could have done free college, the entire media shrieks, how can we pay for it? Even Democratic politicians say, how are we going to afford it? And we don't get it. A billion dollars. Think about what this billion dollars could have went for. This billion dollars alone could have helped with the N95 shortage. The N95 shortage for masks for hospitals. If this billion dollars went to that instead of going to Raytheon and Boeing and Honeywell, we'd be in a lot better position now, wouldn't we? But no, they always get their cut because they paid the politicians. They bought and owned the government, so they get whatever they want. 
and everything's a ruse to give them more money and more power. Pandemic funding going to the military-industrial complex. That should really make your blood boil, especially given the fact that we know how much communities across this country are struggling. Hospitals shutting down. It's just, it's a mess. The entire system is a mess. The entire system is illegitimate. It's run by criminals. Corrupt people, corrupt institutions. And again, nobody's really going to talk about this. There's no, this isn't going to get a lot of coverage in uh, on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. This will just be overlooked. I think the thing that's so scary is how numb we are to it all, always. Like, it's gotten to the point where there's so much stuff nonstop that it's just, it's almost like the default reaction is, and that we can't let that be our reaction because then they win. Because then we'll never work up the energy to fight back sufficiently. But, I mean, needless to say, we need general strikes. That's what we need. Um, They will not stop doing stuff like this because this is the whole point of the government now is to shovel money to their elite special interest friends as the rest of the country burns. All right, next. I found this one particularly funny because the Fox News doctor appears to be stealing my bit. You never know. You never know. They give him a big fat shot in the ass and he comes out. And for two hours he's better than ever before. The problem is what happens after that. Uh, we're going to ask for a drug test. We are. I'd like to have a drug test. Both of us. I'll take it. He'll take it. So now President Trump says, you know, we should have drug testing before debates. And I'm thinking, why would he be saying that? Well, let me tell you one reason, Tucker. There's a study that shows that for people who have mild cognitive thinking or memory problems, you know what helps? Speed. You know what helps? Adderall, a drug that I prescribe. These drugs can help. In low doses for short periods of time. Now, look, in the Olympics, we're testing athletes. Baseball games, we don't want anybody to juice. We're looking for competitive advantage. So there's an old saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. That's exactly what this is. <laughs> the Fox News doctor is, uh, is right twice a day, and this is probably the time, speculating about how uh, Biden is probably on Adderall. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen what he's like when he doesn't have something in him, and it ain't pretty. But when he when he does have something in him, he could be compelling. Remember that where he was outside, it was like a press conference, and he was going off about our troops, and he's like, I keep in my pocket the exact number of of our troops that have died. I was listening to it, and he just sounded like he was high as a kite and just ranting. And he was good. He was good because he was high as a kite. So I think, I think he probably is on something. Um, but the real point, the real reason I'm doing this segment is this observation. This is like a really 
interesting, easy, new way to spot a partisan hack, which is bring up this topic and then see what they say. Because I feel like the real objective take, if you're really being honest about everything that we've seen, is that, yeah, Biden's probably on something, for sure, and he needs it. But Trump is too. I mean, again, Trump, there's a lot, there's just as much evidence for Trump, and actually probably more than there is for Biden. But I'm willing to concede, I think Biden's on it, because I see the differences when he's high and when he's not. With Trump, yeah, I mean, I've given the exact speeches I'm talking about. There was the CPAC speech where he was bouncing off the walls, and he was like really compelling and funny and all over the place. And then there was the UN speech where he was barely awake. He literally couldn't get through the word sovereignty because it was too difficult for him. He's like, and that's why we think with the sovereign. So I've seen examples of him, like, I, the sniffing. There's that old, you know, there's that happened a few times where Trump would, either in speeches or in debates, he would do the sniff thing, which people know if you're snorting a substance, that's what will happen. You'll have the, you'll have the sniffles. Um, so, but anyway, I think this is such an easy way to spot a partisan hack because – or. A Republican partisan hack will do what Fox News just did, which is like, Biden's on something. He's probably, he's on something. I think he's on Adderall. You know, it would help with the cognitive decline. And agreed, agreed. Now, are you going to say anything about Trump? I watched the whole segment. They said nothing about Trump. Nothing. Nothing. There's actually somebody who used to work on The Apprentice who said, yeah, Trump's addicted to Adderall. He's addicted to speed. Are they going to bring up anything about Trump in that respect? No. Now, on the flip side, yeah, there are going to be plenty of people on the Democratic side. I'm sure if you turn on MSNBC, they might have the conversation about whether or not Trump is on something, and then they won't say anything about Biden. So I feel like this is such a good litmus test. So next time you're at some sort of family gathering, now, God forbid you talk about politics, try your best to not, because I know what it's like at family gatherings. It's probably best to just, you know, let's not discuss this, and it'll be a much smoother time. Um, But if it comes up, do this little litmus test. Do, it's not a litmus test. Do this test. You know, just bring up the topic. Hey, what do you think about, you think that, you know, they're on something? They're both kind of old. And then see what they say. Because anybody who's going to only rant about Biden being on something, partisan hack Republican. Anybody who's only going to rant about Trump being on something, partisan hack Democrat. When I really think, I genuinely believe there's enough evidence for both, both of them to really draw the conclusion that they're probably both on something. And then final thing is, I don't know why people are doing this weird thing where everybody's acting like it would be better to see them debate when they're not on something. That would be pathetically boring. They're two dudes in their 70s. You don't want to watch them debate if they're not on something. Snooze fest. I want both of them to be high as a kite. So that's the other thing I hate is like this weird, like puritanical thing that people have with this, where it's like their default assumption is, well, we should do the test to make sure they're not on stuff. That's what we should do. Why? You should test them to make sure they're on stuff. Load them both up with Adderall and kick them out there on stage and let them have fun. Like, why is anybody pretending like, it wouldn't be awesome if they were both high as a kite. I don't get it. Like, what? 
it's just a, it's a we. I think it's a weird thing, like this weird thing of like, well, wow, we would want to performance enhancing drugs. You mean things that make them think clearer and speak clearer? That's literally exactly what I want both of them on, for sure. <laughs> like, why are we pretending otherwise? I don't know, man. People are weird. Like, just admit it. Just admit it. You'd rather see them both on something. I would. Of course I would. I'll watch a Trump rally if he's high as a kite. I'll listen to a, you know, a Biden talk if he's high as a kite. If he just woke up and he didn't have anything, not so much. I'll probably fall asleep within 30 seconds. So, anyway, Fox News is now getting into my business of wild speculation <laughs> about something like drugs they're on. But, hey, I'm the OG. You guys got to get in line. All right, next. So Ken Klippenstein of The Nation has a bombshell report that just dropped. Feds intercepted protesters' phone communications in Portland this summer. Intel sources with knowledge of the operation tell me, quote, you're getting an inside view into your targets who they are, who they're talking to, the hierarchy. I'm old enough to remember when the intelligence agencies and the federal government argued, no, 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 all this this technology that we're using to spy, we're only doing it to protect the country, and we're only spying on al-Qaeda terrorists. This was the old argument. Some of you are probably old enough to remember this as well. This was the debate. This was the discussion. You know, during the height of the Iraq war and and with the Patriot Act, the argument was, I mean, come on, the reason why we need bulk NSA metadata collection is because we have to stop al-Qaeda terrorists. We have to have a way to track them. And this is is what we're going to do. And the argument that civil libertarians made at the time was, you're out of your mind. No, you think they're only going to use it for this? No, if you give them this power, of course they're going to use it for more than just going after al-Qaeda terrorists. And by the way, who defines an al-Qaeda terrorist? Did you prove it in a court of law? No. So it's just who you think the al-Qaeda terrorists are. And as we know, the United States government locked up innocent people at Guantanamo Bay, cut deals with warlords in Afghanistan and Pakistan to send us al-Qaeda, and then they just shipped us their enemies, not al-Qaeda. Plenty of innocent people were at Guantanamo Bay and were at Abu Ghraib. So the government doesn't get it right all the time. Are you kidding me? But now we know. Well, I mean, we already knew with the Snowden leaks, but now this is the next step. So my, my guess is it was mission creep. Uh, oh, yeah, we'll start just going after who we think it, you know, is in al-Qaeda and then you know, might have expanded a little bit to, well, maybe not just that. Maybe we'll also take a look at potentially some people who are affiliated with the Mexican drug cartel or something, and then it's mission creep a little more. Hey, maybe we could just look for people who are hardcore criminals, career criminals. Maybe we'll spy on them. And then now it's Portland protesters. Now remember, a report came out not too long ago that said 93% of the protests happening across the country in the wake of George Floyd and many of the other things that have happened, 93% are peaceful. 7% are not. Portland protesters, so every, all the protesters in Portland are violent? Of course not. Of course not. 
So they're not all violent, but they're spying on all of them anyway. They didn't get a warrant, which means it's wildly unconstitutional, and it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure. And here we are, exactly where civil libertarians warned we would be. You give the government the authority, they're absolutely going to abuse it. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, as the old saying goes. You gave them absolute power, gave them the ability to spy on everybody, now look at what they're doing. Portland protesters spying on them for what? For what? Guys, read about COINTELPRO if you haven't yet. You know, the FBI, like a lot of the intelligence agencies view as part of their job to crush left-wing movements. Remember, the intelligence agencies sent a letter to Martin Luther King trying to get him to kill himself. They spied on Malcolm X to see if they could dig up dirt on him. That's how they knew MLK was having affairs because they were spying on him. Malcolm X, they tried to get on something. He wasn't having an affair, but this is what they do. Spy on the left. They try to crush the left. They view you not as an American with a different viewpoint. They view you as akin to terrorists. Spying on Portland protesters. Spying on Portland protesters. Not a particular person who maybe committed a crime and then you got a warrant. No. Spying on Portland protesters. Tracking their back and forth. Privacy, gone. Gone. This is wildly unconstitutional. Now, another thing that's in this piece from Ken Klippenstein is the intelligence agencies actually asked for volunteers. And Ken's source says that's an indication that they know what they're asking for them to do is technically illegal, is volunteers. So almost like an off-the-books, but this is what we're trying to do type thing. So we're not going to follow the proper procedures. We're not going to follow the Constitution. We're not going to follow due process. We're not going to do the right thing. Uh, We want you to do our dirty work, and so let's get some volunteers. So they know what they're doing is wrong, but they did it anyway. If you think the intelligence agencies crushing the left is just a thing of the past, it's not. It's still going on right now. There was a guy, a former either CIA guy or FBI guy, who was on Tucker Carlson's show like two years ago, and there was a clip that went viral because the guy admitted. Like, yeah, this is, that's what we do. Like, of course. So they view you as a domestic enemy. They do. They view the left as a domestic enemy. So maybe don't believe every single thing that comes from anonymous intelligence officials, because they're the people who lied us into the Iraq war. They're the people who lied about Russiagate repeatedly. And they're the people who are trying to destroy the left. So don't bolster them. Um, Understand who these people are. They view you as an enemy. And they, this means there are no constitutional rights and protections. There is no Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure for these protesters out there. Which means, I mean, quite literally, the intelligence officers who are doing this, they're un-American. The most American thing is to abide by the Constitution and the Fourth Amendment, and they're disregarding it. And again, I mean, this is why Edward Snowden is a hero, because he showed that it was the government that was acting illegally and acting unconstitutionally. The government was the problem. He was the whistleblower saying, hey, look at the government committing crimes. 
But, of course, they try to take the hero and make him the devil. And that's what they did. So he absolutely needs to be pardoned. Julian Assange, who exposed, you know, the government's wrongdoing and killing of civilians. And, but anyway, I digress. I'm going down a path that's not directly related to this. But great work from Ken Klippenstein and um, devastating story. All right, next. There is no low that Fox News host Mark Levin won't sink to. He is one of the worst far-right commentators. He's also super annoying, but we don't need to <laughs> we don't need to explore that any further. Let me play for you what he said about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. President and Attorney General with whom you disagree by just saying you believe they've committed crimes. She would have made a terrific executioner in Stalin's regime. Don't you think, Mr. Producer? Would have been great. First she'd pour them some drinks and then off with their heads. She would make a terrific executioner in Stalin's regime. So, He's saying she's a Stalinist. Why? Because she criticized Bill Barr and Donald Trump. There is no reasoning with the likes of Mark Levin. They have one button that they press all the time, and it's nuclear. Everybody who's on the left is an extremist to them. And this is, guys, this is why they make no distinction between social Democrat Bernie Sanders and neoliberal corporatist Joe Biden. Because these, these guys don't care about the underlying political philosophies. These guys don't care about the empirical reality and what the evidence shows they believe respectively. They don't, they don't care. Mark Levin's whole role is Republican good, Democrat bad. And it doesn't matter that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez effectively is a mild social democrat in terms of her policy ideas, doesn't matter. To him, you're basically like Joseph Stalin. You're a Stalinist. You know, you believe in gulags. You believe in killing people. So let me get this straight. AOC, who's against all the wars, she's against all of the wars. She somehow is for killing people. Meanwhile, you and all your Republican buddies who you defend on a regular basis, you were all for the Iraq War. You can try to whitewash that history. I remember it very well. So you're for all the wars that killed hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. She's against it. But somehow, she's pro-killing and you're not? Guys, it doesn't have to make sense. And this is what we're up against. We're up against a tsunami of propaganda. So if you're on the left and you go out there and say hey, I think we should catch up to the rest of the developed world and everybody should have health care as a right. Or you say, hey, other countries have paid vacation time by law. I would like that. Or I would like to raise the minimum wage. Or I would like to have free college. A lot of other countries manage to do it. How come we can't? If you say that, his rebuttal to you is, nah, Stalinist. Nah, I guess you want to kill rich people, me. I like how I made him Ted Cruz. <laughs> he does have an easily voice like Ted Cruz. No. No, Mark. 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't want to kill rich people. She wants to tax them slightly more, which, by the way, is an overwhelmingly popular position, even among Republicans, even among Republicans. She's not, she doesn't even want to go back to the Eisenhower rates. Eisenhower had the top marginal rate of like 93%. I think her number was 70%, and people flipped out. So she's not even going back to what it was under some Republican administrations. This is, what, this is what I mean about the Overton window shifting to the right over the years. We're up against a wall of dishonest propaganda from the right. Were they anybody who disagrees with them, anybody who's a Democrat or a lefty, it's just instantly go nuclear, instantly choose them of Stalinism. By the way, they, don't, they wouldn't hesitate to throw Hitler in there too. They're not going you know, to make the distinction again when it comes to ideology because that's not what he does. He's not there to be thoughtful and intelligent and nuanced. He's there to be a propagandist for the Republican Party. And he doesn't care about the consequences of his words either. He doesn't care that there's some unhinged people out there who might hear this and, you know. Like, these people make life dangerous for AOC, also for Ilhan Omar. It's probably even worse for Ilhan Omar because, you know, they accuse her basically, you know, being an al-Qaeda apologist or whatever because she's Muslim. Like, I, I have no problem having honest disagreement and conversation with people, you know, people who ideologically are not in alignment with me, that's totally fine. This is not that. This is like a lying, unhinged propagandist. And it's just a shame that his voice gets pumped out there all the time. And nobody's learning anything from this. This is just putting in danger, you know, left-wing politicians and smearing them nonstop, strawmanning them nonstop. They really have gotten some segment of the population to believe that if you want Medicare for all, you're basically like Joseph Stalin. These people are not on your side. They're not on your team. And that should be obvious. Okay, next. The media and the establishment can not stop Russiagating. They're addicted. Listen, I don't want to talk about this. I'm so done with it. In my mind, as soon as we got final Mueller report, and effectively, they didn't get Donald Trump on Dickie McGee's axe, I was like, okay, well, at least this is put to bed now, and I never have to talk about this annoying, dumb issue anymore. Boy, was I wrong. Because they don't stop. They didn't learn their lesson, they don't care, and they're going to keep going forward with the same narratives. So here's the latest installment. The CIA assessed in August that Russian President Vladimir Putin, now take note of this wording, guys, and his top aides, quote, are aware of and probably directing Russia's influence operations aimed at undermining Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden in the 2020 election, according to a new report in the Washington Post. We assess that President Vladimir Putin and the senior most Russian officials are aware of and probably directing Russia's influence operations aimed at denigrating the former U.S. president, supporting the U.S. president, and fueling public discord ahead of the U.S. election in November. The first line of the assessment reads, the Post reported, the CIA compiled its August 31st assessment, 
with input from the National Security Agency and the FBI using public, unclassified, and classified intelligence sources, the Post reported, citing two sources who reviewed the document. The CIA and Office of the Director of National Intelligence declined to comment. CNN has also reached out to the NSA and the FBI. The agencies declined to comment to the Post. Former CIA officer Douglas London told CNN that the agency's use of the word probably when concerning an issue of such importance means it's, quote, analysts are sufficiently confident based on their deep expertise to put their reputations on the line in making such a call. It means the intel is good enough that they're not guessing, but have enough pieces of the puzzle to confidently make out the image. Now for a reality check. The reason they use the word probably is because there is zero evidence of what they're claiming, and they can't prove it. And if they're pushed on proving it, they got nothing to show you. And so they say, probably this is happening. And then when you say, whoa, 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 I'm going to need more than that, they say, I'm relying on my deep expertise. And then the media outlets were like, well, we tried to contact the NSA and the FBI and the CIA and try to get them to say more. And they wouldn't say anything. If you can't see now at this late date how ridiculous this is, then you don't want to see how ridiculous it is. Like, your mind is made up. It was never about, like, following the evidence. You decide, you latched onto a narrative. The narrative is Trump is a Manchurian candidate of Russia. He's Vladimir Putin's puppet. And all of the evidence, to the contrary, you disregarded. Guys, remember... This, we just covered the story. We just covered the story about how the Pentagon is sending more troops into Syria to combat Russian influence in the region. So at a time where the argument is Trump is Putin's puppet, he's literally militarily escal- escalating with him. There's also sanctions on Russia. He also didn't approve a pipeline that would have made them a lot of money. The idea that he's a puppet to Putin as he repeatedly does things like arm Ukrainian rebels that Putin doesn't want, it, it defies all logic and reason and evidence. But people in the media still latch onto it, Democrats still latch onto it, because they think it's politically advantageous for them to drive this narrative. Well, if there was some sort of deep plot, Mueller would have uncovered it, but he didn't, because there isn't. It turns out the boring thing about Trump is true. What's the boring thing? He's an idiot reality star host who stumbled his way into the presidency. He's a moron. There wasn't some high-level thing going on. By the way, am I saying he's any better than other politicians? No, of course not. He's corrupt just like the rest of them. But he's owned by Wall Street and the military-industrial complex, not by a foreign power. And to the extent any foreign power is controlling what he does, take a look at Israel and Saudi Arabia. Because those are the ones who get endless favors, endless, all the time, multi-billion dollar weapons deal to, to Saudi Arabia, as Saudi Arabia has given him money through his hotel in, in D.C. By the way, there's your collusion. There's, he's acting like a puppet to Saudi Arabia in that respect. They're paying him personally, and he's giving them weapons. But that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count, because it's not Russia. Is, is Putin funneling in money through his D.C. hotel? 
take out Saudi Arabia in that story and put it in Russia and then tell that story. And you know all the Democrats would be over it, all over it, nonstop. They wouldn't shut up about it. But because it's Saudi Arabia, they don't, talk, they don't touch it. If it was Russia, oh my God, we'd never hear the end of it. And they would be right to scream about it if it was Russia in that instance. Because that is a quid pro quo. Give me money through the hotel, then I'll do favors for you. Doesn't fit the narrative. That's, too, that's standard corruption that we're used to from other Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, too. So they think, yeah, of course, we're cucks to Saudi Arabia. Duh. We're cucks to Israel. Duh. That doesn't make that not a bombshell. That is a bombshell. It's not a bombshell because he's not under Vladimir Putin's thumb like you guys claim he is. And now we get this nonsense. They're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. It's going to keep going no matter what. It doesn't matter that they got nothing even though they exhausted this path. It doesn't matter. They're going to keep going. And now, I mean, look at how vague this is and broad this is, too. Vladimir Putin is directing Russia's influence operations. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Oh, he wants Trump. He doesn't want Biden. So he's, I mean, this, this wording is like so vague on purpose. Directing Russia's influence operations. What does that mean? He's creating the troll farms himself? Is that what he's doing? He's making a number of Twitter accounts and trying to get people riled up in the U.S. to fight each other over Black Lives Matter or whatever. Like, look at, look at this stuff they're talking about, guys. We have a pandemic where 200,000 Americans are dead. We have a freaking depression where the real unemployment rate is like 20%. Wages are plummeting. I mean, they will not stop with this. And the reason why they use the word probably is because they have no damn evidence, because it's not true. It's not real. But they won't stop Russiagating. This isn't going to stop. And the mindless resistance drones will plow forward, not understanding at all that this is liberal QAnon. That's what this is. This is liberal QAnon or liberal Benghazi or liberal birtherism. That's what it is. Just like the right wouldn't shut up about Benghazi, every eight seconds they bring up Benghazi. This is the same thing for the hashtag resistance crowd. Russia, 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 Russia. For the love of Christ, talk about the real stuff. Trump just got rid of the regulations on coal plants, and 1.1 million people are going to have poisoned drinking water with, like, mercury and arsenic and all types of stuff in it. People are going to get sick. You want to talk about that a little bit? No. That's poisoning people by polluting their water is too boring. The 2017 tax cut law, which gave all the money to the rich, 83% of the benefits of that bill go to the top 1%. Too boring, too standard. And by the way, to talk about this other stuff, you actually got to read and do the work. But you just act like Russia, 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 oh my God, Russia's controlling Trump all the time. All you got to do is tune into Maddow and shut your brain off. She won't stop either. None of them are going to stop. So anyway, get used to this. This is the new normal. There's going to be a story every two weeks, every three weeks, from now until forever, of, oh my God, Russia's really controlling Trump and controlling the Republicans and Russia, 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 Russia. Not understanding this is literal McCarthyism. Just now, it's the Democrats who are pushing it. See, this is what happens when the Overton window shifts. Again, the Republicans were the right-wing party. Now the Republicans are the far-right party, and the Democrats are the center-right party. So the Democrats are doing everything that happened to them in the previous generation, where you had the Red Scare going against the Democrats the last time. Now the Democrats are doing the Red Scare nonsense, the McCarthyism against the right, because they're the center-right party. Disgusting. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, I can't believe I still have to talk about this. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen.
Okay, next. So there was this event recently called CancelCon, and um, it had Dave Rubin in it, Ben Shapiro, Adam Carolla, Dennis Prager. These are people who are now pretty, you know, openly right-wing pundits. Like, this is how they view themselves, right-wing commentators, however you want to describe them. Um, So they sat around, and they did a bunch of conservative talking points all day. That's basically what this thing was. Incredibly cringeworthy, the whole thing was. I mean, it's not... Like, I'm kind of amazed that they still think they're being, like, edgy. Like, no, you're, you're just doing standard conservative politics. That's what you're doing. It's not... Like, it's not new. You guys are permanently stuck in the year 2014 mentally. That appears to be what's going on here. But anyway, I digress. If you want to watch it, I don't know why you would, but it's up on YouTube. You can find it. By the way, the numbers weren't even that good. You'd think that if it's like a convention thing, like Cancel Con supposed to be, I don't know, Comic Con for right-wingers or some shit, whatever. Um, But the numbers weren't that good. But when the event started, they ran... This clip that you're about to see, I have no words for it. I'm just going to let you take a look. Let me see if I can explain this kindly. The reason why people had an issue with social justice warriors, let's use their terminology. The reason why, and it wasn't just right-wingers who had an issue with that, there were left-wingers too, is because people felt like, hey, these people are really close-minded and they're married to their ideas and they don't want to hear people out and they're so insular, you know? And it is the classic examples that people always bring up. Kids on college campuses, you know, who try to deplatform some conservative speaker or something or they set up a safe space because they don't, you know, want to hear things that they find offensive. Like, yes, that's the classic example. But the reason why they were an issue is because they were so insular and so in love with themselves. And it it was a very close-minded type of community. Well, the so-called anti-social justice warriors now mirror every single thing they hate about the social justice warriors. Like, if you go watch some of this cancel content, 
I mean, these guys are, are a parody of themselves. Like, this thing was a joke. Like, you, these people actually love the fact that the social justice warriors exist because they define themselves in opposition to that. But in the process of it, they're just as close-minded and insular and up their own asses and in love with their own voices. Like, seriously, every single quality that they claim to hate about the social justice warriors, the anti-social justice warriors, fully embody it, without a doubt. Like, I already know everything that they're going to say before they say it. They're so predictable. They're so predictable. So this isn't, like, interesting or edgy or new or cool. It's like, it's at the point now where this is just standard doctrinaire, expected opinion. I already know everything Dennis Prager is going to say or Adam Carolla or Dave Rubin or Ben Shapiro. Every single thing. Every single thing. I watched this video from Vosh where he covered a little bit of this. And um, he said, I bet one of the things that they're going to say is, um, like, men are not women. It's, It's an attempted shot at the trans community. Say, like, Men are not women, or women are not men. And then within, like, two minutes, Ben Shapiro said exactly that. Like, these people, what you're doing is not hard. What you're doing is not interesting. It's not incisive. It's not witty. It's you've become your own little obnoxious, annoying, self-important club, clique. And you just mirror all the things. It's almost like, it's almost like a religion in a way. It's almost like they have their, their customs and, and the things that they go through and, and the words they repeat. And there's in-group signaling and out-group signaling. And, I mean, I really do think that, like, this cartoon is just a perfect encapsulation of, like, how ridiculous these people have become. And, again, this isn't – you're no longer part of some sort of, like, edgy subculture. who's like, bro, I believe in free speech, and they don't. Because these guys – the other thing that really defines these guys is – they're so one-dimensional, they can't talk about any serious issues because they don't know anything about the serious issues. So if you want to have a conversation about free speech or a free press or any of these things, I'm more than willing to have those conversations. But you want to talk about Edward Snowden? If you're talking about a free press, if you're talking about free speech, if you're talking about government persecution, let's talk about Edward Snowden. Let's talk about Julian Assange. Or when you scream about free, uh, free press or the First Amendment, you know, does it not include the actual serious issues where there's government oppression? And I can go on. How many, you know, statutes popped up in state books basically banning criticism of Israel? You can't get any government money under any circumstance if you boycott Israel. These are these anti-BDS provisions that are popping up all over the place. Have any of them said anything about how this is a, literally against the First Amendment and a restriction on free speech? No. No, they haven't. Of course they haven't. How about all the, there were, and we covered this on the show, there were anti-protest laws that popped up in a lot of conservative states with the Black Lives Matter movement emerging. Ron DeSantis just did it in Florida recently. Same thing. Anti-protest stuff. And you have anything to say about that? Actual threats to the First Amendment? Anything. Do you have anything to say about Trump suing Bill Maher over a joke? Anything to say about that? Anything to say about Trump repeatedly in his rallies saying we should ban flag burning and you should be punished with up to a year in prison? 
Anything to say about that? These are real threats to the First Amendment of free speech. Anything to say about that? No. They only bring it up when it's pink-haired kids on college campuses. Congratulations. Your entire worldview is through the lens of let's shit on annoying college kids. Wow, bro. Oh, you guys are so intelligent. You guys are so deep, so thoughtful. You're just reactionary dingbats. We see through it. We see through you. You're not special. You're not like the next wave of the Enlightenment or some shit. You're jokes. We all know everything you're going to say. It's predictable. It's stale. It's pathetic. Wow. You say, I think you should hear opinions you disagree with. Oh, so bold. Meanwhile, Dave Rubin, who was one of the leading people at this thing, he just the other day was saying, well, look out. Joe Rogan is moving from California to Texas, and he's importing his bad ideas, his blue ideas. So he has an issue with an American moving from point A to point B because he doesn't agree with him politically. It's almost like you don't want to hear out opinions that are counter to yours. How many people at the canceled event did you bring out to, I don't know, defend Marxism? Do you really want to have the tough conversations, the hard conversations? No, you don't. You don't. Or else you would have had somebody talk about ideas you don't agree with. But you didn't. Because again, you're everything that you claim to hate. You're everything that you claim to hate. I don't know how else to say it, but these guys are pathetic. They're permanently stuck in 2014. And you do with that whatever you will. Okay. Final story of the day, y'all. Here we go. So Daily Coast is highlighting how censorship really has backfired on the left yet again. In this case, it has to do with Facebook. Facebook suspends the accounts of Climate Hawks Vote, Greenpeace, and Rainforest Action Network. Over the weekend, hundreds, hundreds of social justice, indigenous, and climate groups had their accounts suspended. And it was suspended to disrupt a virtual protest against the coastal gas link pipeline in British Columbia. So the suspended people and groups were all involved in a Facebook event from May of last year that targeted KKR and Co, which is a US investment firm that's backing the coastal gas link pipeline. So listen, this is exactly what we warned you about. The reason why you don't accept censorship in principle and you don't accept deplatforming in principle is because it will always, always, always be flipped back on you and the people that you like. Because what you're saying is, hey, the powerful people that run these companies, I want to give them the authority to crack down on whatever they might think is problematic. Now, we all agree, like Nazis and white nationalists, that's really problematic, that's really bad, right? But if you give them the authority and the ability, they will always go after the left. Why? Because the left really does threaten the powerful. The left really threatens the powerful. So if you're giving powerful people the ability to crack down, of course they're going to use it against you. And they're going to lump you in with the white nationalists and the Nazis. Of course they are. See, it's not, it's always going to, the, the marginalized communities are by definition 
marginalized and they're a minority. So you're giving more power to the already powerful, to the elites. And that's a terrible idea because ultimately I think it will be used more against the left for sure. Because again, if you're really threatening power and authority, that's going to happen. So we talked about it recently in regards to the, the ACAB, all cops are bastards thing, hashtag that was going around. There was already talk about, well, we should censor that. That's extremism. That's not right. It could lead to violence, so on and so forth. That's step one. Now, again, I want to repeat, Climate Hawks Vote, Greenpeace, and Rainforest Action Network. So the idea is, oh, my God, they're protesting um, you know, some uh, pipeline, and it could get violent, or some of the things they said hint towards violence, and that's property damage. Property damage is unacceptable, and so we're going to ban it. And it's never going to stop just here, because Facebook did it previously as well with, like, anti-war outlets. That was another one. Anti-war outlets were on the chopping block. So you can't, you never buy into it in principle. Like, really what should happen with Facebook, with Twitter, all these big social media outlets, effectively they should become public utilities. So you, you expand First Amendment protections to the digital realm and to the Internet. And so, listen, that doesn't mean, are there no rules ever? No, of course not. There are some rules, but they're very, very few and far between, and you're limited to, like, you know, people can't do direct threats of violence, for example. It's stuff like that, that, that no, you're not allowed to do that. But, yeah, anything else is fair game. You can't, you can't go after people simply because of a political view that you disagree with, and that's exactly what's happening here. And don't get it twisted. We've seen what happens, like, in Israel, for example, they'll just ban pro-Palestinian Facebook groups, because Israel said to Facebook, hey, the cost of admission for us to let you be in this country is that. In China, you know, there's plenty of instances. I mean, China's already got, like, super locked down Internet as is. But, like, Facebook has no problem curtailing whatever to get into countries. So, in other words, they're working with governments directly, with powerful people directly. You think they're not also doing it with the U.S. government? Of course they are. Who does the U.S. government hate? I mean, we just discussed the story. The FBI, the CIA, spying on Portland protesters, spying on the left. Do you think they're going to be kind to the left? I find it, it's hilarious to me that there are some people who are legit, like, communists who are like, yeah, we got to ban the far-right people. You're literally next online. <laughs> like, right after them, it's you, immediately. That's what's going to happen. So, not good, man, and it's going to keep going. They're going to go after the anti-war people. They're going to go after the environmentalists. They got a list. And somewhere on that list, you're on it. I'm on it. They'll take things. They'll misconstrue them. They'll take them out of context. They'll argue you believe things that you don't believe. You know, they'll say it could have been interpreted as an advocating for violence or whatever. I'm telling you, man, you do not want to open this door because there is no shutting it. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. The slippery slope of censorship and deplatforming is incredibly slippery. Okay. We are done, baby. I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'm out. Peace.